Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would hear through these words in 1 Thessalonians the heart of your Son towards us and the world. Amen. Amen. If you weren't here last week, we started actually tracing the book of 1 Thessalonians. It is the New Testament reading for the next number of weeks, and we decided that we're going to follow along with it. And 1 Thessalonians is a book that I think has much to teach us. My encouragement to y'all is over the next few weeks to read it a few times yourself and let it sort of sink into your soul even as we go through it together. It's a book written to a church that Paul only had three weeks with, and that's actually the problem. A riot had started three weeks into his time in Thessalonica, and he gets driven out of town, and he's worried that this little fledgling church won't make it. He's worried particularly that people are going to come attack them, and without the apostles there to defend their faith and to teach them truth, they're going to fall astray. And these verses that we see at the beginning of chapter 2 are actually Paul defending his own character. But he's defending his own character not because of his own pride. He's defending it so that when others attack him to attack the faith of the people, they'll have something to stand upon. The way that it would work is this. You imagine a guy who comes into town and starts proclaiming this strange religion and this strange new political system because the ancient world didn't really see the separation between those two things. He's proclaiming this new religion and the new political system and a riot starts and he leaves. And you can imagine the people who actually love those who had converted coming to them and saying, are you actually trusting that guy? He bounced from town so quickly. You know he was in it for the money. You know that he was actually just trying to create some little weird power structure. Why didn't he stick around to defend himself? And you can imagine that sort of attack coming against people because brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, aunts and uncles looking at their family members would say, you need to come back. This new thing that you're believing that separates you from me isn't worth it. Because again, to take a new God was to exist in a whole different new life. The Christians couldn't operate in the ordinary civic sphere. And so this family member who's converted is a family member lost in many respects. And you can imagine the pressure put on these people and the heat turned up because Paul is not there to defend himself. And so he defends his own character, not out of pride, but defends his own character to be able to offer the people a means of answering the questions that they're being given by people who love them. He offers them a defense to protect their faith. Look at these verses in verse 2. He says very simply, he's reminding them of the truth, that we had been shamefully treated, beaten up at Philippi. This is verse 2, and they knew that. And that wasn't a badge of honor in the ancient world. He's not trying to hide something. Yes, we were abused. But when we came, we spoke to you with boldness. We spoke to you openly. We declared everything freely. There was nothing hidden here, in other words. There were no tricks behind what we were doing. There was no deceit. If you look at verse 3, he's making it clear we weren't actually attempting to deceive you. There was nothing dirty in what we were saying. There was nothing hidden. But the point was very simple, and he's reminding them of what he must have already told them. We're speaking to you just because we were entrusted by God with something beautiful, the gospel. There was nothing underhanded in any of this. 
There was no greed, he goes on to say. It wasn't about flattering you. We weren't trying to tell you what you wanted to hear. He's reminding them, think back to the things I said. Nothing in it was dirty. Nothing in it was just trying to please you so that you would give us your money. Nothing in it was just to get control over you. You look at the things that he says in verse 6. We weren't looking for glory. And you can imagine him reminding them, did we ever ask you to glorify us? And the answer is obviously no. We weren't looking for glory. There was no flattery. There was nothing underhanded again. And again, he's emphasizing over and over, very simply, we were entrusted with something from God. And so we gave it to you. And we gave it to you freely. We gave it to you without any strings attached. We gave it to you without any ulterior motives. We were simply offering to you in boldness what we had been given by God. And then he tells them in verse 7, remember the way we acted. Because he reminds them of his gentleness with him. And he's referring, the reason why it's we here, to himself and to Silas and to Timothy, the others that were with him. But he reminds them that we did this all with gentleness. It's not that we were looking for your money. In fact, we showed up and gave you our whole lives. We were the ones giving everything away, not looking at what we could get from you. And he reminds them at the very end of it of the affection that he had for them. And that short little period of time, we grew really fond of you. And so this defense, this reminder, is not Paul trying to defend himself because of pride's sake. It's very simply to shake these people and to remind them of what they heard and saw in him while he was there, so that when people attack their faith by trying to discredit Paul, they will remember the truth. Of course, the longer a person is absent, and the more somebody else slanders them, the easier it is to begin to believe those lies. And so his letter is trying to jog them back to the truth, so that they won't believe the lies that will discredit the gospel by discrediting Paul. That's the thrust of this passage. As I looked at this, the thing that sort of leaps out to me is that this description of Paul's own character, this defense of the way that he acted, is not just a description of a good missionary tactic. This is much more significant than that. Paul's actually describing something bigger than his own actions, his own character. He's actually describing the very character of Christ in this passage. And in describing the very character of Christ, what he's describing is not just a nice thing for Paul. It suddenly becomes mandatory for us. Because if this is the character of Christ lived through his apostles, this then should be the character of Christ lived through us. Character that's only possible in as much as we are joined to Christ. But character, because it is Christ's own, that suddenly becomes non-optional for all those that are his. In other words, this isn't just a description of good missionary tactics. It's actually a prescription for how we are supposed to live. In that prescription, there's two things that leap out that I think we need to look at. The first is the boldness that Paul talks about, the boldness that he opens with, and the second is the gentleness that he closes with. Boldness and gentleness. The word boldness that he uses in verse 2 is a, is a quasi-technical term for ancient rhetorical practices. 
It's a word that you actually see in the textbooks on rhetoric, and it's a word that the New Testament authors use quite a bit and talk about, this word boldness, and it means more than just courage. The word boldness meant a speaker's openness and frankness, the willingness to say whatever needed to be said, no matter the consequences. The word boldness meant that there was no point in watering things down. Let's speak freely here. Let's quit pretending. Let's wipe all of the subterfuge and all of the ulterior motives off the table and let's speak honestly. The word boldness meant the time when a family sits down around the kitchen table and they look at each other and we say, there's something that we need to deal with. Let's quit pretending. Let's quit acting like this thing that's going on is not going on. The word boldness meant that sort of clarity and simplicity. This, I'm founded upon the truth and we're going to take all the hiding things away and speak out in the open. It's like when a politician stops playing games, stops telling me people what they want to hear, and just speaks bluntly. This is the reality that we're facing. That's the connotation of that word boldness. And that sort of boldness always comes with risk. That sort of boldness also dignifies the person that you're speaking to. It treats them like an adult, like an equal. And this sort of boldness, like I said, shows up all over the New Testament. So there's a scene in Acts 3 when Peter and John are going into the temple to pray. And there's a man, you may remember the story, crippled by the gate, asking for money. And Peter looks at him and says, I don't have silver and gold, but I have something else. In Jesus' name, stand up and walk. And they go into the temple and crowds are all around them, stunned. And they start preaching freely in the name of Jesus. So the leaders of the temple drag them into the Sanhedrin and they start challenging him. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And Peter stands up to defend their actions. And he's very blunt with these people. It was the name of Jesus that healed this man. And Jesus is the one you killed. He speaks to their face bluntly and clearly. There's no hiding the truth. And he says that name, Jesus, is the only place you'll ever find salvation. You killed him. But God raised him. He is blunt. And what Acts 4 says that the leaders looked at them and they were stunned by their boldness. It's the term used for that sort of clarity because I'm standing on the truth and there's no point in hiding anything. It's interesting, though, because that sort of boldness doesn't mean that the person feels courageous. And I think this is actually important because when we tend to think of something like boldness, we tend to equate it with, I feel courageous. I feel bold. But Paul actually says to the Corinthians, he talks about his boldness with them over and over in 2 Corinthians. I had boldness with you. I have boldness with you using this technical term. And yet he also says to them, I came amongst you with fear and weakness and trembling. It's really staggering to think that that sort of straightforwardness could be coupled to fear and weakness and trembling. In other words, it doesn't mean that you feel strong. It doesn't mean like you feel like you have it all together. It's very simply the willingness to say what is true, no matter what happens, because it is true. To speak truth, even if you're quaking as you do it. To speak clearly. And so when the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests looked at Peter and were stunned by his boldness, it doesn't mean that Peter looked or felt confident. 
He might have been quivering and sweating, butterflies in his tummy. But he spoke the truth, and he didn't hide it. He spoke what needed to be said, because it was the truth. That sort of boldness comes, and this is 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Paul says that we have this boldness because of the hope we've been given. That sort of boldness doesn't come from within us. It comes from latching on to something bigger than us, a hope that's been offered. It reminds me of the middle of Psalm 56, where David actually says, this I know that God is for me. That's the way it begins. This I know that God is for me. And he says, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. What can man do to me? That's that sort of, it's latched on to something bigger. It's latched on to the Lord himself. It's latched on to his hope. It can look like a weak and trembling person. A weak and trembling person, though, speaking the truth. Speaking the truth that needs to be spoken. Because God will show up. All hope banked on him. Like I said at the beginning, this description is not sort of, hey, just a nice option. This description actually is the description that's supposed to describe us because it describes Jesus Christ and because we have been joined to him. You think back to his life with that quality and you realize over and over, he looked at people and he told them the truth. And he told them the truth regardless of whether they were going to like him, regardless of whether they were going to follow him on the other side. He spoke truthfully to people. And that's what that boldness ultimately boils down to, is the willingness to say what is actually true to people. It's supposed to be ours, that quality, because we are in Christ. But any of us can look at our own life and see a million instances where we duck the truth, where we avoid speaking truth to each other because we are afraid of what will happen if we do, where we water things down and take the edge off because the consequences don't seem worth it. Any of us can look at our own lives and see places where we duck the truth internally, where the truth that is true about us, we try to block using self-justification. We try to hide from. We all know these instances where we try to avoid that sort of boldness because honesty and openness and openness seems too painful, too difficult, too threatening. It's really important to remember we are called to boldness, but it's not because we're called to be some superhuman, strong person afraid of nothing. Again, this sort of boldness can be coupled with fear and trembling. But the point is, at the end, you say, even if I'm terrified, I'll listen to the truth and I'll speak the truth because anything else isn't worth it. But more than that, we say that because God is behind the truth. And I'm willing to stand on him even if I'm afraid. You see, this call to boldness is rooted in the hope of the gospel. Like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.12, we have this boldness because of hope. It's rooted in the gospel. Because if forgiveness is actually offered to me, to you, to the people in our families, we can actually be truthful about sin. If forgiveness is actually offered, we can be truthful about our sin. We can be truthful about the sin of others. It's rooted in the gospel. If Jesus Christ really is victor over evil, we can be truthful 
because we know in the end that that victory will prevail in all spheres of life. If we're actually offered a place in the new kingdom, there is this urgency. You see, the qualities of this boldness spring from the reality of the gospel. That's what we're called into. And if these things are true, that forgiveness is offered, that Jesus really is the victory over evil, that we actually are offered a place in the new kingdom, there is an urgency that comes out of this, a willingness to speak honestly with the people that we love, because these truths are too important to be hidden. Boldness is not enough, though. This is where we turn the corner to the second quality. At University of North Carolina, where a number of the very special ones of us went to school, there is a place called the pit. The pit is a brick courtyard that's down several stairs from the main level. And it's surrounded by some of the most important buildings on campus. And the pit is the place where people hang out. Students sitting on the stairs, the benches, the tables around. It's a main gathering place on campus. And I imagine that there are people like this there in most seasons. I don't know if it was the same person. But while I was there, there was a guy that we called the pit preacher. And the pit preacher would stand on the edge of the pit and he would yell. He would tell you your sin to your face as you walked by. He had huge signs, those kind of sail-like signs with all the words of judgment listed on them. The pit preacher was blunt and he was bold. The thing that's interesting, though, is that boldness is not enough. And that man utterly lacked the other quality that Paul ties to boldness. You look at verse 7 and he says, We were gentle among you. Gentle, like a nursing mother. Gentleness, so gentle that the only way that Paul can describe it is to resort to the most tender and compassionate and protective of relationships. A mother cradling a child, willing to give her life and soul, would stand in front of any evil or any harm, caring for this child. The gentleness that is the deepest and richest, the thickest of all gentleness. Paul's point here is that boldness without gentleness is actually not Christian. Boldness without gentleness is not Christian. Similarly, though, gentleness without boldness is a false love. Gentleness without boldness is a false love. These two things have to be tied together, and they are inseparable qualities in Christ. He opens with boldness. You know we had this level of truth-telling with you, but he closes with gentleness. And we are not allowed to discard one or the other of these two qualities. Boldness without gentleness is not Christian. Gentleness without boldness is false love. Boldness doesn't hesitate to speak the truth. But gentleness acknowledges that not everything needs to be said at every moment. I think back to the proverb that love covers a multitude of transgressions. Gentleness is willing to take the blows for somebody else. Gentleness doesn't feel like everything needs to be corrected all the time. Boldness speaks honestly, and gentleness shields the other. And these two things are meant to go hand in hand. That gentleness springs from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 42, one of the great messianic passages, 
says that a bruised reed he will not break. The image is somebody walking down by a riverside, and there's a reed that's been bruised and bent over, and he doesn't step on it. He shields that bruised reed. A faintly burning wick he won't extinguish. There's a gentleness in the Messiah. He praised that sort of gentleness. Blessed are the gentle, he said. He said to his followers, you need to become like little children. He said to them, you're not supposed to hold authority the way the Gentiles do, wielding it over people as power. That's not the way we work. We work as servants. He praised that sort of gentleness. He himself was gentle and lowly, humble and kind, standing securely in the Father, standing securely in the fact that he didn't need to win every battle at every single moment. This gentleness has to be coupled to the boldness, or else we become something that Jesus wasn't. But the boldness has to be coupled to the gentleness, or else, again, we become something Jesus wasn't. Gentle and yet bold. Boldness doesn't mean being personally strong, like I said. A person can be deeply weak and trembling and cling to the hope and therefore stand in boldness. But similarly, gentleness doesn't mean being weak. Jesus was anything but a pushover. He was anything but somebody who got knocked around and he had no power. Instead, his gentleness was his strength and power under control, reserved for the times that it was right to use it, willing to be gentle and soft, willing to take a blow. This is what we are called to, this sort of combination of this boldness and this gentleness is what we're called to with one another speaking truthfully, with deep gentleness. It's also what we're called to with the outside world. When the church is angry and abusive in its speech, yelling, and they say, I'm just telling the truth, and you say, but if it lacks the gentleness of Christ, it is not Christian witness. But similarly, if it's only gentleness and lacks truth, it is not Christian witness either. The two come together in Jesus Christ and therefore, the two are supposed to be together in us. In 1 Peter, Peter describes these two characteristics coming together. 1 Peter may be one of the best books in the New Testament for learning how to live in the world. This is verse 14 of chapter 3. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. That is, the outsider who might persecute. He says, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. You see, that's the root that it's all built on. And then he says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. The boldness that's willing to speak, but speaking always with gentleness and respect. That's the call. Bold, willing to speak the truth, unvarnished, not hiding from the things that need to be said, willing to talk about sin and righteousness and judgment, willing to talk about the holiness of God, willing to talk about the fact that he is God over all, and yet deep gentleness. The ability to know that not everything needs to be said in every single moment. The ability to back down from being too harsh. The ability to actually speak in a way that is kind. The church is called to this because it is the character of Jesus Christ. And it's actually with the character of Jesus Christ that I want to close. The reality is, is that as we look at these things, we are looking at our Lord because he is the bold one. 
He is the one who has actually spoken truth. Truth about the world, but also truth to every single one of us. We all can look back and see the many times when the Lord has revealed the truth to us, the truth of our own sin, the truth of our own brokenness, the places we need to change and repent. But we also can look back and see all of the places where he has declared to us his love, where he has declared to us that even in our sin, he has not forgotten us where his love is the decoration of boldness to us. We can remember the times where the truth of his forgiveness has been declared to us, that we are cleansed by him, the truth of his victory. The Lord Jesus speaks boldly to each of us. And the call here is don't duck. Don't get defensive. Don't hide from his truth. As he says, sit down at the kitchen table with me and let us speak frankly to one another. Don't hide from it. Because that same truth is coupled to his gentleness, to his willingness to care for each and every one of us, his willingness to hold us the way that a nursing mother would hold a child, willing to protect and overshadow and nourish and care. This is the character of the Lord, and it is his character towards you. And so in an ultimate sense, the call to each of us is to actually receive the character of the Lord. Because it's only in receiving it from him that we can begin to be that to one another. Amen.